Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses serious problems in the church that we still deal with in our day. And through this series, we're also learning how we can live for Christ even as we're tempted to live for ourselves. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now here's this week's message. I invite you to turn with me to uh, the letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. And we're going to take a look at chapter 3, the verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, the verses 1 through 9, continuing now in this series that uh, Pastor Justin has been uh, already introducing us to. And we'll read the Word of God. But pay attention for a moment if you have your Bibles open to the last line of chapter 2. In the original text, there were no chapter and verse divisions. It all flowed together. But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. In the Greek, the word worldly is the word sarx or flesh. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Since there is, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Paulus? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is, has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's servants. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had to receive a message you didn't like? I'm sure all of us had to deal with something like that. Just recently, my wife and I were in Ontario, and there was a snow day, and our teenage granddaughters were home from school, and one of them had received Monopoly for a Christmas gift, and she said to us, you want to play Monopoly? And so we spent a few hours around the kitchen table playing Monopoly. I hadn't done that for decades. But I got this chance card that says, um, go to jail go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And I didn't like it. But, you know, that's a serious part of life. Maybe you have received in the past week or two weeks a, a letter from your bank indicating that your mortgage rate has been going up because mortgage rates have been rising in the last year from about 1.3% to now 5.6%, and that likely indicates that your mortgage contribution has doubled 
or almost doubled, maybe 40%. Or it's the end of semesters and report cards are coming out and your children may have come home with a message on the report card, projects were not finished, therefore there is a failing grade. Or you hear on the news the devastation in Turkey and Syria and somehow we need to respond. We don't like hearing things like that. And yet we need to deal with them. So how is your response? Well, when I had to go to jail, go directly to jail, I was relieved in Monopoly because that meant that I was not running the risk of landing on a street that my wife owned on which she had placed many houses and a hotel. And if I'd land there, my rent would have gone way up. So I stayed in jail as long as I could. When I got the information about my mortgage going up, I wasn't so happy. And, and I remember having to say to my parents, I had to do a project over again in school, and my father looked at me and said, you could do better. Or I look at the news and I watch children, some as young as the ones we've seen baptized today, Ashton and Maya, come out of the rubble, parents dead, and they're alive. And you wonder about their future and about their well-being. We all get messages we don't like to receive. The question becomes then, how do we respond? Do we respond in anger? Do we respond in frustration? Do we respond in pain? And in some cases, the answer is yes. Or do we also sit, sit down and say, okay, I've got to work through my anger and I've got to work through my frustration and I have to work through my pain because, well, God has called me to be sacrificial in this world. God has called me to love. God has called me to contribute. And now I need to do that. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. You have learned that that church is in the area of uh, what we call Greece. It is a church that has been um, come out of a, a whole group of very diverse people, Jews and Gentiles and Romans. It's not a large church, maybe a church of 100 or so people, and Paul has ministered to them for about 18 months. They have come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have been baptized. And now Paul has had to leave. And when he leaves, things do not operate as well as had been anticipated. You can go to chapter 5 and you'll find out that he had written an earlier letter. We don't have that letter. But he has written an earlier letter and now he is writing yet another. And in this letter, he comes and gives a diagnosis. Perhaps you have been in a doctor's office. I mean, we just heard from Pastor uh, Jason about Dave Thomas. Just in a doctor's office, not so recently, and there's a diagnosis of cancer, and now treatment has to happen. 
there will be consequences. I suspect that they weren't delighted in hearing the diagnosis. And you and I have been in doctor's offices too, no doubt. The doctor comes to us and says, um, blood tests indicate that your cholesterol is up. Blood tests indicate that you are on the edge of developing diabetes too. Blood or other tests indicate that you have high blood pressure. There is a consequence. You need to lose weight. You need to get exercise. You need to change your diet. Because if you don't, you're going to get sicker. And no doubt there's probably a bit of frustration and anger about that. Maybe even a, an idea that says, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to get a second opinion. That's fine. Go ahead and get a second opinion. But if the truth remains the truth, then you need to deal with it, even if you don't like it. And so the Apostle Paul comes to the church in Corinth. The church that has experienced new life in Christ through the preaching of the word, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, they now have the mind of Christ. They have this understanding that they are to seek the will of God and to do the will of God despite the consequences. I mean, Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so Paul writes. He gives his diagnosis to the church in Corinth. I could not address you as spiritual, but you are babes in Christ. Now it's important to understand what he's saying here. He is not saying to this church, you are not Christian. They have come under the conviction of the gospel. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have been instructed in the basics of the faith. The apostle Paul has given them milk. Now, we have watched and witnessed this morning the baptisms of Maya and Ashton. They are on a milk diet. That is appropriate for them. But they are fully human. They are fully with us and present. They have all sorts of potential. But they are on a milk diet. Sometime later, pablum will be added to it. And then when they are able to digest it, more solid food, and someday, perhaps 18, maybe 16 years from now, when they go out to the restaurant, Ashton will say, Dad, I would like a steak. And Dad said, you know what those things cost? Yeah, Dad, but I still like steak. Just have the chef flash it over the fire and drop it on the plate. It's all appropriate. It's age appropriate. These people have been made alive in Christ. They are born from above, but they have not matured. So we, we witnessed Maya and Ashton this morning. And, and if you watch the parents' faces and the children's faces, 
there were a lot of smiles. There was a lot of contentment because these children appeared to be alive and appeared to be healthy and appeared to be normal. Everything is going the way it should be going. I'm making assumptions here, okay? Maybe there are underlying issues that I don't know of, but everything appears to be going the way it's going. But just roll ahead one year from today, February the 19th, 2024, and if those children are the same size and in the same condition, every one of the parents will be asking for prayer for the well-being of their children because their children have failed to thrive. They have failed to grow. They have failed to mature. And that is what Paul is saying is true about the Corinthian church. Now imagine Paul would come here. What would he be saying about us? What would he diagnose us and our condition to be? Well, we need to look through what he says and examine what he says with some interest and concern. Why are he, these people still babes in Christ, still worldly, still fleshly, because they have taken their eyes off the goal? And Paul writes to the Colossian church, our goal, our aim is to present everyone no exceptions, everyone mature or perfect in Christ. They have taken their eyes off the goal and they have put their eyes, in the words of one commentator, on their whims, on their wills, and on their wishes. It is all about what I want. It is all about what we want. It is not about what God wants. And that focus on their will and their whims and their wishes is demonstrated in the fact that there is quarreling and rivalry among them. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Oh, just imagine that 13, 15 years from now, Maya and Ashton, now teenagers, would be standing up here and say, I don't care what Pastor Justin says, I am for Pastor Jason. Oh. Well, why is that? Well, because, you know, Paul is just, and, and I read, heard that phrase, and I wondered what it meant. Paul is just a brain on a stick. Any of you wondered what that meant? I had never really heard that before, that Paul is just a brain on a stick, that he is a person without much emotion. He is a person with intellect, and he just simply focuses on doctrine. He just simply focuses on what is true, and he is harder than anybody who says, no, it's not that way. But I'm more for Apollos, because Apollos... Well, he is pastoral. He sits down and listens to me. He laughs at my jokes. He, he nods in agreement to some of my expressions of frustration. 
I like him a lot better. And then the result is division. Rather than unity build around an understanding that Paul contributes to about the Christian faith and a deepening of that Christian faith, and rather than a unity built around an understanding about pastor, pastoral care and working together and cooperatively, there's division, there's quarreling. Paul becomes the leader of a faction, of a group, and Apollos becomes a leader of a faction and of a group. And as a result, there is division in the church. There is quarreling, and there is envy, and there is exaltation of a person in the flesh rather than an exaltation of God who lives in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Really hard, hitting, and truthful. I could not address you as spiritual, Paul says, but I had to address you as worldly, as fleshly, as babes in Christ. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 6, this whole idea is repeated about being a, a babe in Christ. And, and then you look at the basics of the basics. The basics about repentance. Well, we'll return to that in a minute. The basics about faith in God. The basics about eternal judgment. Those types of things. Not well developed. You know, the baptismal uh, material is here. I remember, uh, <laughs> just came to my mind, I remember when in one of the churches I ministered to, we moved from drinking wine to having grape juice because we had some people who struggled with alcohol and we didn't want to make life more difficult for them. So we moved from wine to grape juice, and we had one parishioner who was really, 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 really opposed to that. He says, the next thing we do is we're going to move from water to paint for baptism. And I said, that's ridiculous. He said, no, it's not. And he left. That's just the reality of having to deal with tensions in the church. But we, we have these elements of baptism, and we could argue is water poured okay? Or should it have been sprinkled? Or should we have a dunking? Next week, one of my second oldest granddaughter, who is in the Baptist tradition, will be dunked. In her father's words, she will be made wet. I'll be there. My heart will swell. But we could argue, amount of water, pouring, sprinkling, dunking, does it make a difference? Is one better, righter than another? And face it, we have divided over those issues. Why? Because we stay immature in Christ. I want to say, the amount of water makes no difference the way in which it applies makes no difference. It is what it represents. 
I have been washed in the blood of Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the reality of the potential of division is illustrated. And Paul says, think about this now for a moment. What are you doing when you say, I am of Paul and I am of Apollos? You are avoiding the more important element. But God gives the increase. Paul says, I planted. And in the Greek text, it is a once for all thing. I planted. Apollos watered. He provided pastoral care for these people once for all. But God ongoingly gives the growth. So to whom do we pay attention? To Paul? To Apollos? or to the sovereign God in whose service we are anointed and called by the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is that we need to answer this question. Who is in charge of my life? Is it me, my will, my whims, my wishes? Or is it the Spirit of God who grants me the mind of Christ so I can think God's thoughts, God's way, God's purpose after him? Who is in charge? Is it me? Or is it the sovereign God of the universe who gives the growth? And Paul invites us to think. What is Apollos? What is Paul? And the answer, they are servants. They are people who are called for a specific purpose, to do a specific task in a specific way at a specific time. And Paul was called to be in Corinth, and he stayed there about 18 months, and then he moved on because his task, his calling was to go to different places like Macedonia, come over and help us. And eventually he'd end up in Rome. And there he would also be engaged in planting the church and growing the church and maturing the church. And Apollos was very much the pastoral presence. They had a specific role and a specific assignment. And now they were promoted or demoted, actually, to being leaders of factions. And Paul says, quit it. We are servants. Regard us as servants. We are not to be exalted. Christ is to be exalted. The Father is to be exalted. And we are called together to be under the leadership and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So remember the point that I made not so long ago. There was no question that these people in Corinth were Christians. He wasn't criticizing them for not being followers of Jesus, but they were people who were resisting, quenching, and grieving the Holy Spirit. <coughs> so how do you resist the Holy Spirit? Well, there may be a person here this morning with whom you've had a fight. 
And when you see them out in the foyer, there may be a thought that runs through your mind. I ought to get over this. I ought to forgive. And then you just walk away. You resist. Or, or there may be a call that comes, and it's that time of year again when, when council looks for new elders and new deacons, and someone calls you up and says, you're gifted in this area. Will you serve? And immediately you say, no. Are you walking with the Spirit? Or are you grieving the Spirit? What are you doing with what you have received? And Paul says, you are resisting grieving. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, and you know, Pastor Jason mentioned that passage in his prayer this morning as he talked about um, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul articulates more the cravings of the flesh nature. So I say, he says in verse 16 of chapter 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, of my will, my wish, my whims. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be doing the will of God. So we are called to walk by the Spirit, and that church in Corinth was not doing that. They were resisting, they were quenching, they were grieving the Spirit. And so as, you know, Ashton's parents and Maya's parents teach their child and their children about the Christian faith, they need to introduce them to the basics. And we have big words for basic things. A basic thing like justification. Just as if I had never sinned or been a sinner. If you are in Christ, God looks at you. You are born from above. You are new. Your sins have been washed away. They're old. They're past. That's the reality. But then there is this other doctrine. This doctrine of sanctification, this doctrine of taking out the garbage, of being a sanitary engineer. And that is the work of God's free grace, not the act of God's free grace like justification is. But it is the work of God's free grace whereby we are encouraged to grow. And so Maya and Ashton will be taught in basic words, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And they will be taught other songs about there is power in the blood. Wonder-working power. And when we've been washed in the blood, our sin is washed away. They'll be taught these songs. And then they'll be taught about 
the unfolding of the songs and then uh, of the faith, and then the songs will be getting a little bit more complicated. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. Best definition of the doctrine of election that I know. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. Why are they doing this to my Aunt Ashton? Because they promised that they would encourage them and teach them and help them grow in the Christian faith. Paul and Paulus were in Corinth and they wanted them to grow and they refused. They got focused on what was comfortable for them, what was good for them, what they wanted. And so Paul writes this letter. It's a diagnosis. It's a, it's a lab report. It says you are not doing well. Well, what do you do to change? And it's a one-word answer. You need to repent. You need to repent. Remember on the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and Peter got up to preach, and he explained what had happened to Jesus. And the crowd around him said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And his answer was, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for the promise to, is to you and to your children and all, to all who are afar off, even as the Lord our God will call to him. Well, what's involved with repentance? What is Paul calling the church in Corinth to do? And what is Paul potentially calling us to do? He is calling us to repent. The Catechism defines repentance as the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new. Or you can put it this way, it is a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. But how will we know that the Spirit is now in charge and that we are now living repentant lives? Two ways. Number one, become a fruit inspector in your life. Become a fruit inspector. Because it is by the fruit, Jesus taught us, that we are known. A good tree produces good fruit. An evil tree produces evil fruit. A good tree brings unity. An evil tree brings poison and division. A good tree produces the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, just right after this passage that I just shared with you. But the fruit of the Spirit, and it is singular, note that. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. So take a look at your own life, before you start taking a look at others, take a look at your own life and ask, am I producing that type of fruit? Is there more love? Is there more peace? 
Is there more joy? Is there more gentleness? And so forth. Am I producing that type of fruit? And if you are, get on your knees, say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being present. Thank you for insisting on your way. Thanking for showing us your way. Thank you for the community in which I live, which helps me to walk in the way of Jesus. Thank you. And if you are not, if you cannot say that you are producing that type of fruit, do exactly the same. Get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, come anew and afresh into my heart and show me your way and empower me to walk in your way for your purpose and for your kingdom to come. Please enter anew into my life. And the second way we check that out is to look into and look at the function and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the life of the community. Later on, when you track through this letter to the church in Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14 have to do about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a specific ability given to each true believer by the Holy Spirit to contribute effectively to the work of the church and the building of the kingdom of God. It is a specific ability given to each believer. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a true dedicated disciple, you have at least one and possibly more gifts to use. And the Apostle Paul says in chapters 12, 13, and 14 about spiritual gifts I do not want you to be uninformed. But he also says that spiritual giftedness can cause division. And we have been part of that. You know, in the late 1970s and in the early 1980s, we had many insights and even conflicts around the whole idea of neo-Pentecostalism hitting the church. And there were a lot of divisions and lots of struggles. But out of that emerged understanding and maturity. And we are called then to exercise the fruit of the Spirit to particularly love. Do you notice, most of us will know the content of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Now if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You'll know that. And some of you will have used those words at your wedding ceremony. Now, love is patient and kind and it hopes all things and endures all things and love never fails. It's a wonderful exposition of the nature of love. It really doesn't have much to do with marriage. It has everything to do with the life of the church. About spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. Chapter 12 and then chapter 14 unfolds those spiritual gifts, but like peanut butter and jam between two slices of bread comes chapter 13. Now, the faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. So take a look at how you are dealing with the spiritual gifts in your life because it will be an indication as to whether you are growing in Christ or not or whether you are still a babe or whether you are under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 
So I invite you to look at these words again and put yourself in the context of these words and ask yourself this question. In my life, who is in charge? Is it my will, my whims, my wishes? Or is it the Holy Spirit of the living God who moves me towards maturity, perfection, the expression of love in my life? You've been listening to the latest message in our First Corinthians series, focused on learning godly solutions to the problem of sin in our lives. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway. <laughs>